if we started at verse 26, which we'll talk about later, then we would begin with the theme, warning New Covenant, part three, remember? So as we gather today, I want us to focus on the theme, let's come and worship God. What the preacher seems to be telling us that if, if, this, if all of this that he has been telling us is true, especially in the, the central portion of Hebrews, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, if all of this that he has been telling us is true, if Jesus truly came from the eternal priestly order of Melchizedek, and not earthly priests, to fulfill God's promise, then why wouldn't we want to worship this God? Our earthly sanctuaries and temples, even the beautiful, extravagant, the ones that have taken centuries to build, even these sanctuaries and temples are only a broken image of the one true sanctuary which we come to worship. And that true sanctuary is where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God because that sanctuary is heaven. Jesus is way different from the old priests in the temple. The old covenant and the old temple, the old Jerusalem, that was all temporary. The new covenant in Jesus Christ, that new covenant is here to stay. So if all of this is true, then let's come together and worship God together as a community of faith. And as we come to worship, let's keep our eyes focused on the true sanctuary of God, heaven. And in heaven, when you're worshiping in that sanctuary, you won't hear some of the things. Maybe I've only heard them. Maybe you've heard them. You won't hear these kinds of things. I don't want to go to that church. I don't like their hymns. I don't like to go to that church because all they sing is that contemporary music. Or I want real wine when I go to church, not grape juice. Or... Where are the treats? Where's the food? These, my friends, are not aspirations of true worship. True worship doesn't get caught up in styles or traditions or, familiar, or formalities. True worship gets caught up in Jesus. You are no longer strangers and outcasts. You are no longer relegated to that outer tent. You know, you couldn't go behind the curtain to the inner tent. You're no longer relegated to that outer tent. In verse 19, the beginning of our reading today, the preacher tells us, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, that, that holy of holies, that inner sanctum. We can enter that heaven's most holy place because, because of the blood of Jesus. 
you, brothers and sisters, are welcomed into the living presence of God. You are children living at home with your loving parent, God, who looks down upon us as we gather in worship and who loves his family, this spiritual family that is gathered together. So we come to worship, and we come because we are forgiven. Yes, you. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. You've been washed with the waters of baptism, and you continue to hold to your confession of faith. That is verse 21, I believe. Let me find it here again. Twenty, and I'm using the NIV translation here because it's, I think, a, a little better translation. You've been washed by baptism, and then you've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ, and then you've been asked to hold on to that confession of faith. Those are the three images we get. Washed, cleansed, sprinkled, and holding on to that confession of faith. Baptism is an outward sign of an inner cleansing. A cleansing that happens when God reaches deep down inside of us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when God does that, God reaches into us and instills with us the gift of repentance. So we draw near to God through our submission, through our repentance, through our love for God, who is our loving parent. And because of that, you are made clean. We talked about that last Sunday. You are forgiven. Once and for all, your sins are wiped out. They're gone. And all your future ones will be forgiven because you are a person of faith. You are a person who believes in Jesus Christ and in his power. Now, I know there are many days you probably don't feel like a million bucks, but you are you are a new creation. And so we gather, we draw near to God because we are forgiven. We gather together because we live by hope. Hope is kind of an esoteric word, isn't it? I mean, we kind of, hope is maybe one of those things that you can't really explain it, but you know it when you see it. I heard an explanation recently that I thought was powerful because this is the kind of hope that I believe we as the church should have. This is a hope that, <clears throat> that is described, and I, I don't know if Mary was able to get the quote to, to, to bring it up there or not, but there it is. The gospel of Jesus the Nazarene is a justice-bringing, slavery-crushing, illness-healing, debt-remitting, low status reversing, sin cleansing, 
outsider including and truthing to power gospel. What do you think of that? That is written by a theologian, biblical scholar named Dr. Michael Byrd. He's an Aussie. And uh, the interesting thing about his story is, is uh, well, he started out in, as a Christian, as a Baptist, became a Presbyterian, as now he's an Anglican, so he's kind of moved around. But what we do know about him is that uh, he grew up as an atheist. When he was a teenager, he was adamantly fighting against the church because he saw the church as an oppressive human structure. And now, he is one of our leading proponents. (laughs) Does it sound a little bit like the Apostle Paul? You see, what he is telling us is the gospel is so much bigger than just having our sins forgiven. This is the hope that not only that our sin, not that that's not important, (laughs) that's ultimately important, right? But the gospel is such a bigger picture The good news of Jesus Christ isn't just coming to transform you and your heart, although it begins there. It has come to transform the world through your heart and through our hearts. Let's reread that quote one more time. The gospel of Jesus, the Nazarene, is a justice-bringing, slavery-crushing, illness-healing, debt-remitting, low status reversing, sin cleansing, outsider including, and truthing to to power gospel. Earlier in chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, we read this, we studied this, talking about our faith being found in hope, and the hope here was described as, as an anchor This hope that we have in Jesus Christ, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in in the order of Melchizedek. You know, the house that I grew up in had this secret compartment. It was, of all places, in the bedroom that my brother and I shared. And it was this big piece of sheetrock with two handles on it that you could pull off and then you could walk along the whole um, part of the, of the upstairs house on the inside looking at the rafters and you know all the insulation. And my brother and I would sneak in there on occasion. That was one of our secret forts. And my mom always knew when we were in there. And we always got into trouble. And I always wonder, how did she know we were in there? Because we were so careful to put it back just like we had taken it off. Well, little did I know that the insulation stuck to our feet. <laughs> and we tracked it throughout the house. <laughs> Have you been up in that attic again? <laughs> but now, Jesus is saying, hey, I've been there too. Come on in. Let's go have some fun. The walls come down. The curtain has been torn in two. 
the veil has been separated. You are allowed in to the inner sanctum. Uh, inner sanctum. Jesus has already been there. And he opened it up for us. So when we worship, we worship because we are forgiven. We worship because we live by hope. That hope is seen in the anchor. When we hold to the confession of faith, what we're holding to is the rope that's attached to that anchor. Kind of like a boat that's out on the sea that holds to the anchor that grounds it. So when we worship God then, even our worship is a response to what God has already done for us. Our worship is a response to God for God's service to us through Jesus Christ. Our worship is on Sunday, and our worship is throughout the week. Here are some of the ways that we are worshiping at New Covenant. We have just started a new frolic ministry for families with infants and toddlers. We are embarking on a refugee ministry to help Afghan uh, evacuees. We have people offering to teach Sunday school and confirmation classes. We are teaching adults the process of discipleship and how how to live out their baptismal faith and their baptismal calling. We have improved our ability to stream not only worship services, but Bible studies and other ministries. This is what the preacher means in verse 24 of our reading today. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue, that's 26, (laughs) we'll come to that. 24, let us think of ways then to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. It is an amazing gift to see the church being the church, doing ministries that God has placed on people's hearts, that God has called people and gifted people with the ability to serve and to do. When we offer acts of love and good works, we are worshiping God. We are praising God. Now, this is a question for all of you because, you know, we are looking for a a permanent worship uh, leader. And uh, thank you, Marcia, for filling in. And um, as we look for a worship leader, I guess my first question is, how many of you are worship leaders? Raise your hands. Just two of you? Three of you? Four of you? Is nobody here a parent? Raise your hand. I mean, you're a worship leader, right? Um, is anybody here um, help with um, getting people to, to worship? Maybe bringing someone? Raise your hand. Um, are you a spouse? Did you kick your spouse in the rear to get him to come to worship? then you're a worship leader. Um, You see, we have a limited view of our calling. We think that it's just the professionals who do this work. But worship is something that happens throughout the week. And worship leadership 
something that we all have a stake in. When we worship God, we are a fellowship, a love divine. Isn't that what we sang in our first song this morning? What a fellowship, what a love divine. When we worship God, we are a fellowship, we are a community, we are a communion of saints. I've talked to some of our members who have been away from worship, and they've been really honest with me. They said, you know, I was really comfortable worshiping online, you know, in my jammies with a cup of coffee. But there's something different when you come to worship, they said. There's something different because you are in the midst of the fellowship. You are in the midst of community. And there is something different when we come together and worship God. When we worship God, we get a true glimpse of heaven. It doesn't matter where we worship, in a sanctuary, um, in a cathedral, in a house, in a school, in a warehouse, it, it, it doesn't matter where we worship. Worship is us coming together, offering our praise, our thanks, our worship to God. And in doing that, we receive a glimpse of heaven. So why don't people want to worship God today? Well, some, you know, are comfortable online and, you know, we have to respect that because the virus isn't gone yet. And some people are not worshiping because they're not worshiping God anymore. That grieves my heart. Some people have used the last six months or so to church shop and they found a new church that fits them more, looking for what they want. Others are just plain tired tired when we gather for worship and tired of worship. The same thing, another sermon on Hebrews, give me a break. Others figured out that if you want really good drama, you don't go to worship, you watch Netflix. And if you want really interesting stories, you don't go to church, you watch cable news. And others have figured out that the coffee shop or the soccer fields actually have friendlier people. <laughs> what can we learn from this house church that the preacher to the Hebrews is preaching? He says in verse 25, after motivating one another to worship, he says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And so I think what this preacher wants us to know, what this preacher wants you to know, is that I am so grateful that you are worshiping. And I want to encourage you 
that you're doing a great thing, not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. Because we worship throughout the week. So what's up with verses 26 to 30? That's warning, Will Rogers. I mean, warning, New Covenant. <laughs> Let me read through that. Because I do have, I think, a clue as to what the preacher is talking about. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there's no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of just two or three witnesses. Think of how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted or disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Well, first of all, I think I want to tell you this. The sin that is spoken of here is not human sin. It is not the sin that Paul talks about. It is not our broken sinful human creatureliness. That is not what the preacher is talking about. He here is addressing a specific sin and is specifically being referred to as apostasy, the rejection of the gospel by those who have received it, who have experienced it, who have enjoyed the fulfillment of the gospel. One who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. This is not human condition sin. This is rejection of God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the whole shebang. And this is what the preacher is warning against. His goal is not to induce fear, but to generate encouragement. Just like I told you, I want to encourage you. It's not about fear, it's about encouragement. And so as I said earlier, let's keep our eyes on the prize. Even if you experience persecution, you see, the early church these Christians that this preacher is preaching to, this, this group of Hebrews, they had experienced some severe persecution as Christians. And in that persecution, they were still being challenged to hold on to their faith. Like they had held on to it early on. You see, some of the things that they were experiencing was that that the, the governments that ruled over them, the local regional governments and the Roman Empire, um, they were persecuting them. And that meant that they were experiencing beatings and torture and imprisonment. 
We don't have any recorded deaths at this point, but we do know that they were experiencing some significant hardship. The second thing that, that we noticed is that um, they were having things taken from them, possessions and money, things that they had worked for, that they had earned. And then we also know <clears throat> that many of them have been imprisoned. And so in verses 34, uh, 32 to 34, we get the description here of what had happened earlier when they had become Christians. In verse 32, it says, Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering? Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when you all, what you all owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Think about that. When we, have we forgotten that there is a treasure in heaven that is more valuable than any treasure that we have here on earth? And so as these Christians are experiencing these persecutions, the preacher is telling them, remember how you handled it the first time? Let's go back to that. Let's remember that. You responded then with love and compassion, with joy. You even started a prison ministry and a hospital. They were with the prisoners. They spent time with the prisoners. They were helping those who were tortured. They were caring for their physical needs. Those are the beginnings of prison ministry and a hospital. Do you remember the joy of your faith when it was new? When it was young? I remember I was in high school. It was a very exciting time for me spiritually. God seemed to be very active in my life. And I was looking forward to many things. Do you remember times like that? Do you remember your first communion? Do you remember the day you were confirmed? Do you remember the time when Jesus came to your heart and even bowled you over? Do you remember those times? Let's go back to those times. Let's not forget those times. Let's go back and revisit those times. Today, there's no need for us to be angry. There's no need for us to be deeply cynical. Because we are a people that, is filled, that are filled with, with God's joy and with the hope of Jesus Christ. I'm not completely sure how we get back there. But what I do know is that it all starts with worship. As we come together, we will begin to experience once again the true joy and love and compassion that we have in Jesus Christ. Let us come to worship on behalf of our fellowship, on behalf of our families, on behalf of our children, 
our grandchildren, let us come and worship God together. Amen.